Welcome to the Good Life Podcast, 30 Minutes With. I'm your host, Tim Cadney. Today, my guest is Operations Manager Sharon Rample. Today, Sharon shares the struggles of being a woman of color in the workforce, some steps to forge your own path, and how her fighting spirit started in the ring. Sharon, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I am very well. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Very excited to get to know you today. So the first thing we always start with on the show is your good life story. So why don't you tell us a bit about that? Sure. My uh, my good life story is actually a little bit funny. <laughs> it, uh, it started when I was 18 years old and I moved to Ottawa from Toronto. I was following my sister. She went to school there and I decided that's what I needed to do as well. When I moved to Ottawa, it was a completely new experience for me. I had grown up in a really strict household where there were curfews, there were so many rules, I didn't have easy access to money to buy anything, there was a process involved if I needed to buy anything. And then on top of that, I'm the youngest of three girls, so now I'm in Ottawa, I've got all this freedom, and when I get to Ottawa, my parents give me a bank card, and I'm like, this is the coolest thing ever. And then I learn... (laughs) That when I put this bank card into the Scotia Bank machine, I get money, and I'm like, <laughs> life could not be better. Like the whole world just opened up for me, and so I ran out of money really fast. I spent all of my money, I'm gonna say majority of my money, on beer and Subway sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> So I was mortified. Um, it wasn't a lot of, it was probably like $250 or $300 or something, but obviously this was my first exposure to money. Anyhow, I blew all of it. And I was so mortified to tell my parents that I didn't have any more money. And so I walked into the Rito Center and I went straight to Good Life to apply because I was previously a member at North York Woodbine and Steels here in Toronto. I always thought like, oh, this would be such a cool job. So, you know, thinking this is going to be a good fit. I was always really active. I was a gymnast for most of my childhood and into my teenage years. And I thought, if I get it, I'm going to be here for a couple months. I'll relinquish my funds and then I'm going to move on. So 19 years later, I'm still here. I've relinquished my funds and <laughs> I no longer buy beer and sandwiches. So <laughs> I think... The, the bigger question is, is why I've stayed, you know, in all truth, my, my love for this company was instantaneous. I got thrust into the workforce and I should mention that good life was actually my very first job ever. Really? So, yeah, I know <laughs> I stuck around for a long time <laughs> and, you know, both my personal and professional growth in this company was literally immediate. And it just continued to progress over the years. But, you know, what has kept me has been the people. You know, I think of the members and I always say it's like every single Good Life location has these little small communities that they build. And so for all the clubs that I've worked out at, or sorry, worked at and the clubs that I work out at now, like I'm so honored to be a part of those communities. And, you know, the associates that I get to work with every single day, I have actually formed some of the most important relationships in my life here. You know, there's people in this company that while they're my coworkers, they're a part of my life. Like I travel with them. They've been in my home. They know my family. I know theirs. And they are just woven into the fabric of who I am. And there's a couple people that I've known for a really long time. And we always have this running joke where we say, you know, the roots in good life run so deep. You know, I've just had the privilege to work with and learn from so many incredible people within all levels of this organization. And I think, you know, all the while all of these relationships are developing, 
I developed an even deeper appreciation for my love of fitness because it evolved so significantly. And I, over the years, came to understand that fitness was more than just physical, but it was mental, spiritual, and emotional well-being. And as I've gone through my years with this company, I've realized that what we offer as a company is the holistic right to fitness and we really move in the space of knowing the difference that it can make in people's lives. So that those are the reasons I've stuck around. Yeah. It's interesting what you say about family because you spend so much time together in the clubs and I, I think it happens in, in a variety of workplace, you know, on a day-to-day basis, we're doing so much together. We're impacting lives. We're taking care of each other. And I think that culture of caring really resonates within good life to create these bonds. And I know for you, you've, you've worked on so many projects. You've been so integral to so many changes that have occurred over the past many years. And the question would be, what achievements are you most proud of? That's a loaded question. <laughs> well, what project are you most proud of? Like what's, what's, what's a project that you really were excited to work on and, and see to fruition? Well, you know, I, I can start with saying that I've been really blessed to work on such an array of projects with literally every department within this company. And I was definitely not an expert and I didn't know everything. And believe me, I still don't. But I was thrust into projects and change that made me so uncomfortable. And I know when like you are uncomfortable coupled with, you know, that hustle hard work ethic and mentality, you grow and you learn how to drive things forward and you do everything possible to absorb as much information as possible. So from an achievement standpoint, there's many projects that I've worked on that touch the clubs, you know, things like staff uniforms, different learning and development series, you know, working on improving club leader roles, improvement of processes. But the two things that I'm the most proud of would be the first is my holistic knowledge of this company. I've worked in almost every single position within a club. And then I worked for new club openings for years. And then I did an array of positions within home office. So I feel like when we want to launch a new project or initiative, I have a really good grasp of what things truly look like in action in the clubs and what it takes to bring it to life. And I'm able to lend that expertise But then I also see the other side of it. So I see the effort that it takes on behalf of the home office teams to bring these projects to life. So that would be the first thing. And then I think the second thing uh, that I'm the most proud of is probably the work that I've done over the last 15 months during this pandemic. Like, what a ride. I can't even compare it to anything else in my life. Like, you know, my role has changed about three times over, over the last 15 months. So that's been kind of interesting. <laughs> but, uh, you know, what I understood 15 months ago is really different than what I understand now. And specifically as it relates to, you know, learning, growth, strength of mindset, my ability to adapt and evolve has just completely changed. It has improved me as an individual. And, you know, obviously the stronger I get as an individual, the better I'm able to do my job. So let's talk a little bit more about your journey in the workforce. The question I have for you is, as a woman of color, it hasn't been easy for you. So what would you say have been those struggles for you on your career path? First, I'll say thank you for asking this question, because <laughs> I think it's an important one that um, that should be addressed. And I'll say that there have been two main struggles for me. The first has been, well, perhaps even three, you know, being a woman and, you know, layer onto that a woman of color in the workforce 
and experiencing the world through that lens. And then I think the second has been my relationship with myself. And there was a point for me where those two struggles came together when I realized that they were one in the same. And so what I mean by that is as a first generation Canadian, what I was taught to believe, how I was taught to move, generational fears that were instilled in me significantly shaped my view of who I was and how I interacted with this world and, you know, how I received information, how I experienced things. You know, I I have to start with just addressing this and, and saying this is that, you know, systemic racism and unconscious bias are real And they are societal problems that have naturally bled over into many companies, and they have impacted the way many companies promote, recognize, and celebrate women of color. So I have to just say that first and foremost. But, you know, I know I started with saying that my struggles have been, you know, being a woman of color, my relationship with myself, and it may sound a little bit strange for me to say those things when I mention systemic racism and unconscious bias, because those things are both inward issues and they're things that I personally need to work on. And I say that not to minimize the reality that, you know, systemic racism and unconscious bias exist, but there came a point in my life where I needed to make a decision. I could either choose to be angry with the way that I was treated at times and how unfair life could be, or I could choose to evolve my way of thinking and look at these situations through a lens of logic, even though some situations were really emotionally charged because I ultimately needed to keep my peace And I needed to stay educated. I needed to keep grounded. I needed to stay real about what I could face so that I could handle things in a way that served me the best. Yes, the work starts with me and I am one individual. I cannot change how this world may treat me, but I know that getting angry is not going to solve the problem. And the reality is I don't want to exist in that space. I don't want to live in anger. And so I needed to start to look at things logically for what they actually were and what I could control. And what I could control was myself and my reactions. You know, I know I briefly there at the beginning, you know, kind of mentioned being a first generation Canadian and the things that were instilled in me and all of the learning and self growth that I had to do and want to be very clear, I am still going through. (laughs) I am not anywhere close to being perfect, but, you know, I want to take a moment to speak specifically about those things because and bring them to light because they were really massive rocks for me and I needed to move them in order to evolve personally so that I could grow professionally. All that I'm about to share, I will say this has been true to my personal experience and, you know, by no means am I saying that every first generation Canadian has experienced these things, but I'm sure as I go through some of these things may sound familiar. You know, for me, growing up with parents who immigrated here in the 1970s, you got to understand, they literally came here with nothing. And they started to build in a country where nobody looked like them, nobody sounded like them. Culturally, nobody celebrated the things they did. Um, Nobody ate the food that they did. And this is where that extreme hustle and that desire to fit in started. You know, they, they fiercely protected their own and what they had. And I know when you hear this experience, you're probably thinking, well, that sounds like what everybody does, but this was different. And this was different because they had walls so high, they could not be toppled. They trusted at an arm's length. There was always this fear that existed that things would be taken away or you'd be robbed of what you worked for. And now I have to think that 
my parents and my family that came here probably felt that way for a reason. They were probably treated differently. Opportunities probably didn't look the same for them. And they likely had to suppress cultural norms in order to fit in. So with that, it's like, I know my parents did the best they could with what they knew. But growing up, there was this, um, we were not taught through people speaking to us and saying, this is what you should do. We taught or we were taught by watching the actions. And as a, as a, as a young girl growing up, I watched my, my mom and my aunts and, you know, older family members that I looked up to. And, you know, some of those behaviors that I started to see and started living through my adult life was doubt first. Everyone's out to give you or to get you. You live on the defense. Always appear perfect. Don't falter. Don't let anyone see you crumble. Suppress your emotions and don't you dare cry. You know, a lot of self-silencing behavior. You know, you're expected to have this armor of resilience and strength, but you don't get to engage in the behavior needed to preserve that strength and that resilience. You know, mm-hmm. you you saw behaviors and heard things like, don't take up too much space. Don't be loud. Blend in with the norm. Don't be different. Even the mentality towards other women was jaded. You know, other women were seen as direct competition and a threat. There was only space for one woman to be successful. It could be with the smallest things like who cooked the best or the bigger things like, you know, who, who was the most successful in their career? We heard, don't talk about the things that bother you. Brush them under the rug, pretend it didn't happen. There was this desire to always get approval from my parents and it went beyond a healthy limitation. You know, everybody wants, you know, approval from their parents of acceptance, but this approval was debilitating because the approval came through the lens of their fear and it was instilled. And then, you know, there's this, this dual persona. You are one person with your family and you are one person, another person professionally. These are a lot of behaviors that are very heavy and, you know, they ultimately boil down to a place where it impacts your mental well-being. And I think more importantly, or equal, I should say, is you don't have an opportunity to live your authentic self, right? You have this internal chatter because of all these behaviors that you saw and that are now instilled in you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, another thing you have to understand is that these behaviors are are tied directly to trauma. They're merely defense mechanisms that were put in place based on the experiences that my parents had. So, you know, I'm not angry with them for what I learned and what I didn't learn, but I've been going through the journey of deciphering what's going to serve me well and what isn't. And, you know, I, I, I did mention it. It's like, you have to think of these behaviors and its impact on one's mental health and culturally, Mental health was never discussed, and it is very taboo. And I know the topic of mental health in general within our society is not something that is often spoken about, but I can say, like, culturally, you don't talk about it, ever. There's no words tied to it. There's no conversation. It just, it does not exist. We we ignored. And so with all of that, I had to have a willingness to look at some very uncomfortable truths about myself and challenge my way of thinking because I really quickly realized that as I entered adulthood and then the workforce that this mentality wasn't going to fly. It wasn't serving me well. 
And I had to have some very honest conversations with myself. I had to figure out, you know, what, what do I stand for? And I had to get good real quick with knowing what I would and would not be okay with. This change in growth made some people really uncomfortable. And it wasn't to say that I was better than anybody else, but, you know, often you think you're in a situation and, and we all like to exist in comfort. And all of a sudden, you know, you start to choose things differently and people are like, you know, making comments, you know, she thinks she's better than us or, you know, whatever have you. But it, it wasn't about that. I think ultimately it was, I was choosing differently for myself. You know, I, I had to go through this experience of realizing that, you know, I didn't need to have that dual persona. Like I'm not somebody different in my personal life than to in my professional life. Like who you see me as in good life, this is who I am in my personal world. Uh, yeah, there, there was a lot of unlearning and reprogramming that, that has needed to happen. Yeah. What you said about parents is a very powerful message. As parents, we have to realize that our children are watching our behaviors uh, to recognize the impact that we have on our children. Thank you for sharing the impact it had on you. Now, there's this uh, great quote from Maya Angelou about parenting. and She says, it is time for parents to teach young people early on that in diversity, there is beauty and there is strength. Mm -hmm. So my next question for you is being a woman of color, what advice would you give to someone looking to forge their own path like you did? You know, I'll, I'll start with saying I am not perfect. I am so far from it. I do not claim to be perfect at all. I am 100% a work in progress and day in and day out, uh, you know, I know I'm speaking about, you know, changing the way you think and reprogramming and stuff. And, I, and I'm saying it like, you know, it's nothing. It's so nonchalant. It is hard. It is so hard. It's like, I think of like, you know, from birth to 18, <laughs> you know, I was taught to do things one way. And then all of a sudden it was like, okay, now you're going to change that. So I'm going to start with just saying that I'm not perfect. I'm a work in progress. And I have just begun, I have just begun to scratch the surface of my growth. And, you know, as women of color, the struggle is real and it's hard. And there are things that women of color have to consider and that exists in the back of our minds that people wouldn't even realize. Systemic challenges exist all around us and they play out in the smallest of things and the largest of things. You know, they, it, you know, for myself even, you know, it's like as a woman of color, it's like, it, it's difficult to claim your space. It's difficult to apply for a job. It's it's difficult to, to um, advocate for yourself and, and, and work for a promotion because there's all of this stuff playing in your mind and it's so heavy. And, you know, or, or things like, I'm the only woman of color in the store. Was I just treated like that because I'm a woman of color or are they talking to everybody like that? You know, you have those moments. And, and the reality is as women of color, we move in the space of caution and we have to sometimes, sometimes it is entirely appropriate. So in terms of advice that I would give to my girls of color, you know, I think I say, trust your gut feeling, you know, move in the space of what honors you and who you really are. And if things don't feel right and you're sitting in this or you aren't sitting in harmony with who you are, have a willingness to get uncomfortable, do the work within yourself, challenge your beliefs. If you feel they are not serving you well, claim your space, whether it's in this industry or another, claim your space you deserve just as much as anybody else to experience this life and all that it has to offer. 
it's okay to not be okay. (laughs) It's, It's okay to not be perfect and to not always be so composed. Your feelings and your experience are valid and they are facts in your story, own it and proclaim it. I know for myself, you know, living in this world, there, there have been times where I've experienced things and I've actually sat in self-doubt of like, did that really just happen? And then I minimize what my experience has been. But we have to have a willingness to know that like, if something doesn't feel right, it isn't right. And it's okay to, to speak up and to advocate for yourself. Another thing that I would say is work hard. And I know this may sound so simple, but work so hard and be so proud of yourself that you can always look back and say, yes, I represented myself 100% in a way that is conducive to who I am and what I know I am capable of. All women, this is not just girls of color, you know, we have to show up for ourselves The relationship you have with yourself is going to be the longest relationship you have in your life. And I assure you that it is worth pouring your energy into. And, you know, there's beauty in evolving the way that we think because your thoughts influence how you feel and how you feel dictates how you behave. And and we need to own that. So we have our diversity, equity, inclusion program. How would you say our DEI program can help or is already starting to help? I have to say that it was a very, very proud moment for me when Good Life announced that diversity, equity, and inclusion was going to be something they were going to pour energy and effort into so that we could really meet this world where it's at. And I need you to understand something. I have worked with this company for 19 years, and this is now becoming a formal movement. You know, the fact that you and I are even having this conversation is huge in and of itself. 19 years, and this is where we are. So I am so darn proud. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is becoming a formal movement, not just within good life, but within this world. And it is about time. You know, it is easy to look at tragedy that is blatant and it's right in front of us. But this, the reality is this cruelty and this inequity has transcended generations and it is time. You know, we live in a world that feels different. And I say feels in quotations because the reality is the differences in terms of race, gender identity, sexual preference, this has always been there, but no one ever wanted to acknowledge it and needless speak about it. You know, and for me, I grew up in a family that was full of diversity in terms of religion and a healthy fear of God was taught. And I grew up with an understanding that faith in God meant faith in everything that we experience, everything that we, we see that challenges us that we don't understand. That's faith. So to say that I'm proud of this company is an understatement. And it's very easy to say things like, oh, companies are focusing on, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion because it's the thing to do right now. Or good life is putting out fluff and they don't really mean it. Something that I know to be true is that change always starts at the highest level of leadership in any company and our highest level of leaders Let's put aside their titles for a second and let's just look at them for people. They're just people to us. These are people for myself. And I I would gladly go on the record to say this. These are people that I've come to know and respect. And I know that they're good inside. I know that they want to move in the presence of what is right. And what is right is that we educate ourselves we challenge our belief systems, we lead with empathy, we have a willingness to look at how we moved in the past in order to make different decisions about how we move forward. 
And, you know, will we always be perfect and get it right? No, but uh, in my heart, I know that we have the intention and it will be met with action. So I am really excited to see what the future holds for this company. And for me personally, as, as a woman and as a woman of color, coupled with where I'm at in my life now, I can honestly say that I will speak up if I see us moving in a way that is not conducive with what we have committed to, because our commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion is really important to me. Yeah, I, I think it kind of ties in perfectly to what you said about, you know, like, not perfect, we will make mistakes, but how do we get better from those mistakes? How do we learn? And and I think that's one of the, the greatest things that I've seen within the DEI program. Absolutely. I agree. And you know what? It's uh, any, any change takes time. And, and I think, you know, even, you know, we think of our own personal growth and I even mentioned it. It's like, I have to look at some really uncomfortable truths about myself. And I think that good life is at a place where we are willing to get uncomfortable in order to get to a better place. And I think that's a really big piece because we all want to exist in comfort. It's easy. It's predictable, right? But I think us having a willingness to talk about the, the the things that make people uncomfortable and, you know, having a willingness to give people a voice and allow them to be heard, I think is so powerful, you know, and is it going to make people uncomfortable along, along the way? Yes, it will. But at the end of the day, we're moving in the space of the right thing. I um I listened to a podcast recently and it just like spoke to my soul and it was just so moving for me as a woman of color and if it's okay like these are not my words but I would love to just like read what she says in the very beginning because mm-hmm. it is so powerful and I just I want all of my 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 girls and my women of color at the clubs and at home office to, to hear these words. Um, it's a podcast by Denise Francis, and it's called The Power of the Black Woman's Self-Love Journey. And she starts with saying, if all women of color started a self-love journey, we could heal generations. Women, did you know that you can heal? Did you know that you can feel? Did you know that you could cry and completely surrender to the tears that are falling out of your eyes? Did you know that the trauma and pain you've experienced isn't normal? It's been normalized. Did you know you don't always have to be strong, push through and carry on, but most importantly, did you know that you are not alone? And I just thought it was so powerful and I wanted to share that with everyone. Thank you for sharing that with us today, Sharon, and and thank you for how open and honest you've been with us today about your own personal journey and struggles. Now, before we go, I did find out one interesting fun fact about you that a lot of people may not know. You used to be a boxer? <laughs> yes, I know. This is the complete uh, change in topic from what we've been talking about. Yeah, a little bit. I was trying to find a segue, but <laughs> let's talk about being a boxer. Yeah, you know what? Um I understand it. It's probably peculiar. I think on the surface, no one ever thinks that one, I'd be into sports and two, that if, you know, the sport that I'm into would be boxing. Um, You know what? It was something that I grew up with. Like my dad watched it. My uncles watched it. And I just always thought it was so cool. And I remember my sisters saying to me, it's brutality. Like, why do you like this? But from a young age, I didn't see it as brutality. I saw it as fitness and I saw it as discipline and I was so captivated with it. And so, um, 
as I got older, I actually did uh, traditional uh, training, traditional and formal training for boxing, and I actually sparred. And, you know, I have such an appreciation and admiration for the sport and what it takes physically. Um, I actually stopped boxing when the pandemic began. So this dates back to 15 months ago. I was still in the ring. I was still sparring. And <laughs> it's interesting because over the last 15 months, I realized how damaged my body was from doing it. Um, I'm also not as young as I was when I started <laughs> doing it. So that obviously plays a part. But um, there's just so much that I took away from it, you know, just the the drive and the discipline and the strength of mindset and, you know, just just all that comes with training for any sport. It's uh you know, it's, it's definitely not easy to get hit in the face or hit in the head no. <laughs> or anything <laughs> like that, but it is, uh, yeah, it's a sport that I admire deeply. I think at this point, you know, after having gone through this pandemic and realizing just how broken my body was, I don't know if I would go back to training in a traditional sense, but it's definitely training I would take back up in some capacity. I don't know if I would step back into the ring, but yeah, it's a sport that I absolutely enjoy and I've just taken so much away from it um, in terms of a, a personal growth perspective. That's that's incredible. And you know, and because you're I, I perceive you to be an expert in the subject matter of boxing, I need to know Rocky movies, super fake, or is there any kind of reality to their style of boxing, how they depict it <laughs> in the Rocky? I need to know. I, I feel it's a little far fetched, but I want to know from you. You know what? I will say there is some truth to it for sure in terms of the tenacity and the level of, um, I guess, ex execution and, and, and drive and passion that has to go into that training and just, yeah, the strength of mindset. You know, have I ever had a moment where I've run up a, a really long flight of stairs and cheered at the top? No. Um, <laughs> but I think, you know, from a training perspective, yes, there is some truth to that movie. <laughs> well, that's incredible. I had no idea. And, and I liked what you said about how it applies to mindset. I mean, you're, you said your family perceived it to be barbaric, but there is a lot of precision and, and strategy involved. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? Like one of the things that I, it's interesting, stepping into a, a ring is, is actually a very emotional experience. And it was emotional for me um, because I'm very competitive and I'm very hard on myself and I don't, I, I hated getting hit. And so it was like, when I would actually get hit, it's like, I would get angry, but it's like, you can't take anger into a ring. That's not that you don't go in there angry to fight, to, to like kill, to hurt. It's, it's a sport. So it's like, I really had to quickly adjust that emotion into logic and go, okay, what did I do wrong? Why did I get hit? Let's not do that again. Right. So there's so much that I took away from it. And, uh, it was just honestly, just probably one of the coolest experiences uh, of my life for sure. That's incredible. Sharon, I can't thank you enough for being a part of the show today and, and sharing what you shared and learned so much about you. And thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. That's our show. A big thank you again to our guest, Sharon Rample, for our conversation today. The Good Life Podcast, 30 Minutes With, is produced by Rochelle Lowry, and our intro-outro song is by Ketza. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next week. 